You are listening to the Health and Wellness Connection Podcast, the number one wellness podcast designed to provide the latest information to help you achieve your health and wellness goals. Our show features exciting guests, the latest in medical research, and in-depth discussions in current trends on weight loss, nutrition, and fitness. No matter what your interest, the Health and Wellness Podcast has you covered. And now, presenting your illustrious host, Dr. Barry, M.D. Welcome back to the Health and Wellness Connection Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Barry, here again. Hopefully, you're going to enjoy the show. We're going to get you some really awesome, awesome, exciting information that will hopefully improve your overall health and wellness. Now, today's show is going to be pretty awesome. We're going to actually do what we call a fall health and wellness update. We're going to kind of clue you in on some of the latest uh, information that's hot off the presses in the health of wellness arena, especially when it c- comes to research, some of the new information that we're discovering, and how maybe some of this info could help us live healthier and more successful lives. Now, the first thing that came across my uh, ticker was the whole concept of exercise. I know we talk about exercise extensively on this show. We always talk about how exercise is so important and how it helps with so many different areas outside of just simple muscle building and weight loss. But it's now uh, being revealed that exercise can be extremely effective even if we start it at a later age in our lives. Most people think if you don't exercise in your teens and 20s, you're kind of done. You're going to be pretty much sedentary for the rest of your life. And there's really no benefit or it may be actually too late to get back into the exercise groove. But research is now showing that exercise can be extremely effective in a myriad of areas, even if you start later. And so this was seen because a recent study was was performed, actually a few studies, but the one that I'm referencing was actually published in the JAMA um, uh, research uh, or medical research uh, periodical. It really went into different people who started research they, uh, who started sorry, exercising at later periods in life, actually from ages 50 to 71. This particular uh, study had 300,000 participants. So extremely powerful study. Had a lot of people in there that were able to look at, really assess their improvement or lack thereof if they were to start this exercise regimen at a later date. And it was found that those who were in the uh, active participants of the, re- of the physical, uh, sorry, those who were active in the um, physical activity group, meaning they were doing regular physical activity, they were working out, and these are people aged 40, I'm sorry, 50 to 71, Um, and again, people who exercise, they weren't just doing like a little simple, quick little exercise here, and that was it. They actually had to do the official recommendations, which is approximately 150 minutes of moderate aerobic activity, um, or 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic activity per week. Which is not, you know, too bad, but some people may think it's a lot, especially if you're doing nothing. But when you think about it, it's really not too bad. 150 minutes a week, approximately about 30 minutes a day, or maybe you can do a couple hours, I mean, one hour, two, three times a week. Um, but it's really not too hard if you really just kind of, you know, find that time and make sure you knock it out. But either way, this study that looked at those who started doing these minimal exercise recommendations 
And they found that those who were able to continue the workouts every week uh, per their recommendations were found to have a 35% lower mortality risk. So it's so, so um, clear as far as how beneficial simply just being active can help you just reducing all forms of mortality. And we all know the exercise is so important because it helps with so many different areas, including um, helping reducing inflammation, helping re- um, helping relaxation, helping you with sleep, overall reducing your stress levels, in addition to helping your ex- your heart you know, be more physically fit, allowing it to be able to pump effectively throughout your body. So yes, uh, it's another study showing how important exercise can be and how it can be extremely effective even if we're getting older. And that was just one study, but there was another study that came out of London, University of Cambridge to be exact, a little bit smaller, about 15,000 people strong, but it also looked at the same age group, 40 to 79 people, and it showed also similar conclusions, meaning that people who were exercising, even if they started late, were shown to have significantly improved um, levels of physical fitness. They had um, um, reduced cardiovascular disease as well as reduced levels of cancer and just overall, just overall better health and wellness picture profile. So it's just so important that exercise be something that everyone tries to incorporate into their daily lives. It really can't be stated enough how important and how effective exercise can be no matter how age or no matter what age you start off with. Now, one thing that was unique about the study is that it showed that 65 is kind of the important year to start training at the very least. If you if you do nothing up to 65, there's a concern that your heart may be too stiff and unable to really respond to the demands that are required if you're starting to get physically active. Anyone below 65 can start and their heart will be able to cope with that and potentially allow you to, you know, get over those initial um, inabilities and your heart can mold and adjust and be able to tolerate more strenuous exercise as you get more fit. Um, People over 65, the heart's a lot more stiff, a lot more, um, uh, it's a lot more difficult to mold and adjust. So it may be a little more difficult for those people to really get into the groove and start a regular exercise routine. So again, of course, the earlier the better, but you know, as long as you're under 65, it's still a good time for you to consider starting working out and getting your exercise on. So again, exercise, extremely important, something that's we've known, of course, here in the Health and Wellness Collection podcast, and I'm sure all you guys know it as well, but it's good to see more research proving um, how important exercise can be. All right, so that was all for the exercise, at least that part of the uh, show. Now we're going to talk about another study that really came out, and it's very controversial. I'm sure you guys have been hearing about it in the media. Um, it goes, it's really related to the topic of red meat consumption. Um, now, I know a few episodes ago, we talked about plant-based meats, but, you know, and there's a lot of research on that, which we're still exploring, but some of the new data actually from the Annals of Internal Medicine talks about how red and processed meats may be actually safe for you to eat. <laughs> now, the thing is, this is kind of a big deal because what the actual recommendations from the Annals of Internal Medicine, which is a basic group of Uh, physicians who work in the hospital, specifically with the discipline of internal medicine, they make recommendations of what people should be doing from diet to activity level to nutrition. And they're just one group, but they're a very important, very influential group. So when they speak, a lot of people are, you know, listening. And so what they stated was that red meat 
people who are eating red meat at their current levels of consumption should not change because they feel that the change in mortality and life expectancy is not that different for those who are eating meat, you know, in reasonable levels versus those who don't eat meat at all. And so, um, of course, people were a little bit shocked because, you know, one thing we've been noticing lately regarding the research on when it comes to meat is that there's a lot of issues with meat and it's concerned that it may be causing potential issues with cancer or maybe promoting inflammation or causing other potential medical ailments, especially cardiovascular disease, stroke, high blood pressure, and so forth. So, of course, when this kind of information came out from the Annals of Internal Medicine, no less, many people were concerned that this may be contradictory information that we've been reading beforehand. Because, of course, when it comes to meat, there's been a lot of people who are really speaking out against um, the overconsumption of meat. And there's even a whole movement that's kind of anti-meat, which is the whole vegan movement, which I'm sure a lot of you guys are aware of. So there's a lot of controversy regarding this whole meat uh, recommendations. And I think ultimately, most of the people weighing in feel very strongly either way. Um, now, one thing that was concerning to me when I read this study was that the thing about the recommendations was that they felt that the people who were behind the Annals of Internal Medicine research panel, they felt that, again, people who stopped eating meat didn't really have a significant enough decrease in their mortality to really warrant them outright recommending people not eat meat at all. Meaning, they felt that when you, they looked at all the numbers, that the people who were not eating meat weren't really living that much longer, if you will. So they felt that because of the numbers weren't as significant as they initially thought they might be, it really wouldn't recommend, it really wouldn't make sense recommending people completely stop eating meat because they couldn't really see a difference when it came to the numbers. However, in contrast to that though, there have been plenty of studies that have shown a direct link between meat and cancer and heart disease. So um, because of this, many people have really been debating these recommendations, feeling that they're really short-sighted and that we know enough information now to really understand that there is a link between meat, especially processed meats and cancer, heart disease, and just kind of telling people to eat meat kind of ignores that and it's potentially harmful. So again, this is a very controversial um, <clears throat> subject right now. I think ultimately everyone should use their own discretion when it comes to eating meat. And one thing that was actually was important regarding the recommendations was that the recommendations were actually also took into account people's desire to eat meat. They felt that if people stopped eating meat, they may become unhappy and that they felt that people should be able to eat what they want. And if they enjoy it, it's okay. And I think there's some truth to that. However, people who say that it doesn't matter if people enjoy it, if it's unhealthy, it's unhealthy. We need to be honest with people. And there's some truth to that as well. So it's kind of a lot of back and forth regarding the meat versus the non-meat eaters. I think ultimately moderation is key. You really want to make sure you're not overdoing it either way. Um, <clears throat> even me, sometimes I tend to eat um, uh, meat and I, and I tend to sometimes overdo it like everyone else. So I think it's important you're just cognizant of these things. And we're working to make sure that we find a harmonious balance, if you will. So again, too much meat is definitely bad. I think meat can be part of a healthy diet as long as you enjoy the moderation and you get good sources of your meat products.
of course, I'm a big fan of um, finding a local farmer, a local um, uh, cattle farmer or a chicken farmer as well. That you can verify the source as well as the the um, the way that the plants, the animals are raised to ensure you're getting the most the freshest, the most nutritious um, source of meat products. So, of course, again, there's no really clear answer here when it comes to meat. I always tell folks, always do it in moderation. And, of course, stay tuned to the research because it's always coming out new information every day. And a lot of times we get new things that help kind of mold how we behave ourselves as far as our diets are concerned. All right, so that's the first half of the show. We have a lot more topics to talk about, a lot of new research coming out, a lot of new things we want to discuss. Stay tuned. we got more information here and more exciting topics on the Health and Wellness Connection podcast. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Peace. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Health and Wellness Connection podcast. It's your host, Dr. Barry, here again, bringing you more exciting information regarding health and wellness. Now, this show, we're talking about some of the latest headlines in the health and wellness community regarding research, new information, news reports, and so forth. Another concerning story that I came across doing my recent research was the topic was regarding the topic of teen suicide. One thing that's noted about uh, some of the suicide rates we're seeing is that teen suicide has spiked 56% in the past decade. Um, it's believed now suicide is the second leading cause of death for older teens and young adults. So this is really concerning because um, we all know that uh, mental health is something that's extremely, extremely um, been um, the focus as of late due to a lot of the issues we're seeing regarding people's ability to cope and some of the signs of uh, increased uh, inability to kind of cope with life's machinations, if you will resulting in increased uh, mental anguish, and anxiety, and stress. It's believed that a lot of this is due to social media as well because of the fact that now our lives are completely on social media. Kids are growing up, you know, all their friends on social media, anything that, that they're doing, being bullying or being teased is now magnified due to the power of social media. So it's believed that um, because of social media's extremely kind of... Um, <clears throat> Basically, the way social media has kind of interwoven itself into our lives, it's made a lot of things more magnified than they were previously. And because of this, people are having harder times coping with it from a mental health standpoint. So recently, the CDC, or the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, showed that, again, teen suicide rates have skyrocketed. Um, <clears throat> now, they say about each year, about 7 out of 100,000 young adults between the ages of 15 and 19 die by suicide. So that's a pretty significant number. Um, you know, and unfortunately, the numbers have been going down up until 2007. But then from 2007 to 2017, the rates have spiked quite a bit. Um, again, 2007 is kind of sort of when, you know, social media, and the Internet be, really became popular. I think Facebook became big around, I think, 2006 or so. So it's really, um, you know, something that I don't know if you can directly tie it to social media, but I'm sure social media has had a big role in some of these uh, suicide um, increase we're seeing amongst, amongst teens. Now, now of course, some of these uh, people may be dealing with mood disorders, 
other mental intrinsic issues that are making it hard for them to cope with some of the societal challenges they're facing. Of course, alcohol and drug use are a big um, culprit as well, as it's believed. And of course, those things should be addressed as well. But I think bullying is one of the big things that I think is part of the reason why this, you know, we're seeing this spike in, in uh, suicide because of, again, like we said with social media, it's really hard for people to cope uh, with some of the stressors that they're dealing with. And because it's so easy to bully people with just clicks and typing out stuff, you know, it's really, you know, very difficult for people who don't understand how to deal with those to really be able to, to cope with those stressors and really, you know, learn how to deal with them in a safe way. Now, of course, um, really is no easy answer to this. I think ultimately people who find themselves in a situation where they're constantly suicide or contemplating hurting themselves need to work, you know, very diligently to identify people that they can, you know, confide in who they can talk with and really explain some of the issues that they're dealing with and really help them, you know, be able to safely deal with some of the feelings they're having and hopefully they can come out of it more improved and a stronger individual. So it's so important that if you or your loved ones, let's say you have kids, or if you have um, you know friends who you think may be dealing with some issues, or they may be showing signs of inability to deal with some issues, you know, get them help. You know, consider recommending them get counseling. You know, psychologists or or people or physicians or clinicians, sorry, that are professionals and able to help people deal with you know some of these um mental issues that may be leading to depression and suicide so just look for the warning signs it's so important you know warning signs include you know child's being more isolated having increased anxiety maybe increased substance abuse increased anger or rage or extreme mood swings you know expressing signs of hopelessness you know sleeping too much or not enough so you know, if you see a teen or, or a kid who you see who you're, you know, seeing maybe exhibiting some of these signs, please consider, you know, seeking out professional help because I think these numbers of suicide are, are quite concerning. And I think that because of the neglect that we're seeing out here regards to mental health, you know, despite all the talk, um, there's not enough actual resources being put into the mental health facilities across the nation in the United States here. Um, it's definitely something that needs to be stressed more. Um, so just for, you know, uh, more information, if you do live in the United States, you can always get help by calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Again, that's 1-800-273-TALK. That's a uh, very awesome resource for those interested in looking at ways they can get help dealing with suicidal ideations, depression, and other mental health issues. All right, other news. A new study has shown that it's potentially um, possible that preterm stress may actually be linked to a baby's sex. Um, interesting study came out recently that showed that 187 healthy pregnant women, the study came out of Rockefeller University out of New York, published last month, showed that 187 healthy pregnant women between the ages of 18 and 45 were monitored and assessed for preterm mental and physical stress. And they found that there may be a correlation between the baby's sex and the increasing risk of preterm birth. Uh, basically, 16% of the women were stressed, meaning they had some objective markers for elevated stress like higher blood pressure 
or they reported signs of increased mental stress um, and anxiety and so forth. And they found that those who were stressed apparently had an increased likelihood to have a female child. Apparently, normally, there's a slight increase of males when compared to females. Um, for instance, for every 105 males, there's about 100 females born in normal reproductive scenarios. However, in situations where there was increased stress in the female who was giving birth, there was a slightly increased um, delivery of female children. And they also gave birth earlier, uh, on average 1.5 weeks earlier than mothers who were in the healthy group. So uh, pretty shocking, I think, uh, information here because something like stress, just physical and societal stress, can physically affect the sex of a child is what we're potentially seeing here. So it just shows another important link between how, you know, mental health is so important and how it can affect our physical, um, physical uh, um, outcomes, especially when it comes to pregnancy. Uh, and also can affect um, babies, uh, mental health as well. So it's just so important that we, you know, learn how to deal with stress properly and really understand the importance of stress and how it can potentially be, you know, a very, you know, influential uh, factor if it's not, you know, properly managed. So again, you know, increased stress in the mom can result in increased female births as well as increased risk for preterm labor. So something that everyone hopefully is aware of and making sure that if you do have someone in your life or if you yourself are pregnant, you're reducing your stress as much as possible to help reduce some of those potential issues that can result. All right, guys, and one of the last things we're going to talk about for this show, another interesting study I came across, is that concussions may be a little more complex than we initially thought. It's believed that symptom resolution in concussions does not actually equal brain recovery, meaning that even though symptoms may be improved after a week or two from initial head injury, there may be long-term signs of actual continual brain injury. It was believed that after... Um, assessing some patients who were suffering from concussions or who had some sort of head injury, they were actually were monitoring these patients for potential brain changes, brain activity changes, blood flow changes. It was found that those who had concussions were actually seen to have lower blood flow within the white matter parts of the brain, which is the part of the brain that has those neurons that fire and control brain function. They also had um, some swelling that was persistent in the MRI scans that were done on these patients who had these concussions more than a year after the actual injury. So it's pretty shocking when, um, you know, when we see these things, because we know that things like CTE exist. We know that there is potential for a long-term injury, but actually quantifying these injuries has been difficult, has been difficult uh, for scientists and mental health and as well as neurologists and neurosurgeons. So uh, seeing these are showing the potential long-term risks we're seeing with concussions that um, are potentially quite harmful and need to be actually further explored. This was just published recently in the uh, October uh, edition of the Journal of Neurology. So it's extremely important that given these concussion symptoms, we know that concussions basically um, occur when you do have a significant brain injury where your brain kind of gets jostled around your brain. So in your skull, sorry, you have brain bruising. And we know that know, getting injured immediately after an injury within a week 
And for this study, um, it was done over a large group of athletes, including basketball players, football players, volleyball players, lacrosse players. So no real sport was um, excluded, even though football is a big target everyone likes to focus on because it is the most violent sport. But there's a lot of potential ways to get concussed. And it's important that um, I think studies like this are showing that concussion is something that needs to be closely monitored and taken very seriously because, you know, if it's not treated properly, things like CTE, which is a degenerative disorder of the brain that is you know, that occurs as a result of chronic brain trauma, you know, we want to you know try to make sure we address these things before they become serious issues. So concussions may be a lot more serious than we initially thought. Again, so we're coming to the end of the show here, guys. Hopefully you got some good info from these uh, um, articles and uh, topics we discussed. Uh, a lot of these things that we pulled from uh, popular websites included Medscape.com. So check them out if you want more information regarding some of these health topics we, we looked at. Healthline.com is another one as well. Check those out as well if you want more detailed info regarding some of the articles we discussed here. Also, you can reach out to me as well at Dr. Barry MD on Instagram or www.facebook.com backslash next level weight loss. Thanks for joining us today on the Health and Wellness Collection podcast. It's your host, Dr. B here. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. And of course, we're broadcasting live on AfroVibesRadio.com. Again, until next week, peace. Thank you for listening to the Health and Wellness Podcast. For more info, check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash next level weight loss. Our show can also be found on SoundCloud at www.soundcloud.com forward slash HW Connection. Lastly, for any inquiries, email us at drbarryhealth at gmail.com. Until next time.